Welcome to the Beer Edge Podcast. I'm Andy Crouch. Before we get started, the Beer Edge Podcast is brought to you by Arrived. When you envision the ideal experience for your brewery guests, your focus is on superb service and delicious beer. Point of sale is just a transactional formality to their visit. What you need is a point of service. Arrived is the only mobile, flexible, customizable point of service system designed specifically for craft breweries. It adapts and grows with you on-premise and online. Your staff will love the simplicity. Your managers will love the world-class support team. Your guests will love the seamless ordering experience and probably order more beer because of it. Save time, money, and headaches with Arrived. We'll get into the show in a moment, but first, I've got Daniel McCullough on the line. He is a technical manager at Lalamon Brewing, which is a sponsor of the program. And today, we're talking about Lalamon's We Brew With You approach. I asked Daniel to tell us more. I guess the whole We Brew With You approach is, it's almost like having a free consultant that you can rely on and, and bounce something off. So if you're a small brewer where you've got a small team or you might be the jack of all trades brewer that does everything in the brewery, you don't have sometimes someone else to bounce off ideas, uh, you know, that kind of camaraderie in a, in a team. And sometimes that's where we can come in and be really helpful as well. Or sometimes we can come into those large organizations of breweries and just offer different perspectives. And we're all very diverse and come from very different backgrounds in brewing throughout the team. It could be just a number of things. Sometimes it can be just, look, I'm, I'm a novice brewer and I'd really love you to come in and just go through that process with us and see, is there anything you could pick out or, or suggest differently that we could do in our process to improve it? We'd love a second set of hands, a second set of eyes just to, to assist us. We're excited to have Lalaman Brewing as a sponsor of the Beer Edge podcast. And Daniel McCullough will be back with us at the bottom of the program. But in the meantime... I'd invite folks to check out Lalaman's website at lalamanbrewing.com for more information on how it can help your business. That's Lalamond, L-A-L-L-E-M-A-N-D, brewing.com. 26 years is a long time to run a business, let alone with your spouse. When my guest today first met her future husband, they were both 16 years old and attending the same high school in Massachusetts. He would soon be booted out of that school but their relationship remained strong. And when years later he floated the idea of opening a brewery, the two would help build the business together. The story of Dogfish Head is one we've heard many times before, often told by its very familiar co-founder and frontman, Sam Calgione. But it is his partner, the less public face of the business, Mariah, who deserves a lot of the credit for Dogfish Head's success. As she writes in the brewery's new book, Sam often calls himself Dogfish Head's analog storyteller and often refers to me as our digital storyteller. He's the extroverted storyteller in front of the audience or at the event. I've been the introverted storyteller, behind the screen and the camera lens. As Mariah goes on to note, the dynamic works, and it's helped shape Dogfish into the powerhouse it is today. After high school, Mariah went on to Brown University, where she studied public policy with a focus on its interplay with the media. And then after school, she went on to work for a local television station, working on the assignment desk and doing a variety of other tasks. For her, it was taking up the family business, as her father Tom had owned a TV station and some radio stations in Delaware. For his part, Sam was trying to become a writer or a teacher. But by the end of college, his passion for beer and brewing had taken over. After some back and forth, the couple eventually settled on opening up shop in Mariah's home state of Delaware, 
specifically in Rehoboth Beach. And when Mariah joined Dogfish Head full-time in 1997, she thought her marketing background would come in handy. Instead, she probably should have taken some business administration classes because she took care of the accounting and payroll, none of which she had experience in. But that's how it goes for small family-run businesses. You end up doing a little bit of everything. And one of the things it turns out she excels at is crafting a message for Dogfish Head's social media channels. She'll tell us about the early days of her online experiences at Dogfish, why fans of the brand kept setting up and giving them Dogfish Head accounts, and how to deal with the ups and downs that come with the job. We also talk about her new role as social impact leader at Boston Beer, how the new Dogfish Head book, 26 Years of Off-Centered Adventures, came to be, and what the future holds for both her and Sam. Here's my conversation with Mariah Calagione. So much of Dogfish Head's identity is kind of cast between two states, Delaware and Maine, and uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but uh, you have recently authored a book along with uh, your husband, Sam, but also we you know, always, always want to give shout-outs to the, the co-authors, uh, Andrew Greeley as well. Uh, the dog, Dogfish Head book, 25-26 Years of Off-Centered Adventures, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I, we definitely want to get more into the book. But before we doing that, it just sort of reading it reminds me of the, you know, the strong connections that both of you have to both Delaware and Maine. You know, can you just sort of talk about that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, and I will actually throw Massachusetts in there to, in the mix. That's um, true. So, but I grew up here in um, coastal Delaware region and um, my family's here and actually during a couple summers in college, Sam spent summers here um, waiting tables at restaurants in Rehoboth Beach area. So we're, we're very connected to Delaware. Um, I, in high school, left coastal Delaware. Of course, at that point, I said, I'm never coming back. This is such a small town. And uh, I went to a uh, boarding school in western Massachusetts which um, just so happens to be near where Sam grew up in. Um, he grew up in Greenfield, Massachusetts, and um, he was a day student at the school where I was a boarding student. So we actually met there in high school and started dating um, and then went to different colleges and um, ended up deciding to open our business in Delaware. But he spent summers um, before those ones he spent in, in coastal Delaware he spent a few summers, um, actually a number of summers, in coast in in Maine, mid coast Maine. Um, so his family um, is very tied to to Maine, and now we get to spend a lot of time up there um, with his family in the summers. Um, so we're we're tied to all three states um, mm-hmm. in in a in some way. And with Maine, uh, it obviously gives the name to the brewery. Uh, but what is it that you know is sort of special about Maine to to both of you? Why is it close to your heart and some place you continue to come back to? Um, well, it's it's a place where we vacationed for years, um, starting with Sam um, with his family, and then once we were um, together, we would vacation there with his family. Um, we love coastal Delaware, and in the summer, uh, you know, it's a uh, busy hopping place here. Um, so for us to um, even have a, a little bit of a getaway during the summertime here, um, we would end up going to Maine um, to visit his family. Um, so that is sort of a getaway place, but it's also where we can, you know, have the opportunity to connect not only with his parents, but his um, 
younger sister spends time up there as well as his older sister who lives full time in Florida. So that's really where we get to connect with his whole family. Um, like I said, mine's here in Delaware. So um, we love that opportunity to really spend time, not only in a beautiful place, but with family that we don't live as close to. And I'd reference the book, and the book goes through you know a lot of the misadventures that that both of you, and especially Sam, has at the school that you referenced, which I believe, is that the one that he got kicked out of? Yes, it, it is the one that he was, uh, he was asked not to return to. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, you know, so before you had, you know, before you both had the idea for Dogfish um, and you were in school and then you went on to Brown, you know, what was your career path looking like? What did you think that your future was going to look like? I, I doubt it was probably in the world of beer. And it was not. Um, my... Um, original plan was to I studied public policy at Brown with a focus on how media impacts public policy. Um, after as my last year when I was in college, I worked at a TV station in Providence, Rhode Island doing local news um, behind the scenes, like production side. Um, and then when we moved back to Delaware, my that is my family's business is TV and mm. media. So I um, worked full time with, within my family's company for the first couple of years when we moved back to Delaware when we were launching um, Dogfish. So um, I loved working in TV news and um, I, my last role in, in um, TV news was working on the assignment desk. So I was receiving the, all the press releases and media alerts that were coming into the station. And so when I um, left that world full time and came into dogfish that was originally going to be my focus is sort of the the opposite side of what I was on prior, which um, would have been, you know, marketing and PR. And you noted that your family was involved in, in TV and media. You talk a little bit more about that and, and sort of how that, you know, maybe even influenced, you know, your relationship with the media today. Sure. Um, yeah. So my dad, um, like Sam was also an entrepreneur and got into local radio out of, out of a couple of years out of college and then sort of, you know, sort of evolved that into local TV and broadcasting um, here in the, what we call the Delmarva Peninsula, which is Delaware, Maryland and Virginia, that peninsula um, south of, of Philly. Um, and so, you know, that's always been our, I grew up in that um, sort of environment of local news and community um, sort of in, engagement in terms of um, connecting our company with all these different communities in our region. Um, so then when I worked in TV news in Providence, um, I first worked on the morning news and the noon news, um, just, you know, as an associate producer. Um, but then after six months or so, I um, got a role on a, on a new show that we were um, launching at the station, which was a five o'clock news which was a very big departure from like the traditional 6 p.m. news with the two anchors on the mm -hmm. desk. It was more like a cross between local news slash entertainment tonight. Mm -hmm. And it was very um, more conversational writing, really video focused, um, a lot of, you know, pop culture kind of references. Um, so it was there where I really learned about the, the, the changing of your voice um, and how you write to mm -hmm. reach a different kind of audience. 
And I think that experience and then coming back here and working um, in, de- in this area, in, in the local news world, or two experiences that really helped um, define sort of how we eventually came to look at sort of working with media from Dogfish. And it's, it's all about like, you know, having your, your voice and being, you know, having your brand be authentically representing who you are as a company, but also like that really, you know, visual connection in terms of, you know, I, I, I w- from early on, I understood that there are certain, certain, you know, you had to think about your story, whether it was through the lens of a newspaper or a TV um, video platform or radio um, way ahead of uh, podcasting. So I didn't think about that, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just sort of how different media just require different ways of engagement from um, whatever, you know, our your business or your organization that you're um, interacting with the, with the news on. You know, Sam has long credited you for being the voice of Dogfish Head from a social media perspective and, and kind of the identity of the company. While he has certainly been uh, a major public face, uh, he you know many times has talk, talked to me and others about just the role you've played in sort of connecting the company to the customer base and, and the outside world. How would you characterize your and, and Dogfish Head's approach to, to social media and community engagement? Um, well, I think there's sort of two different approaches there. I think for social media, like we grew up with with social media coming into um, an existence. So, um, you know, when we first launched the company, that wasn't really an option. We had a website and it was really hard to update. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, was, it was not just it, things were not like they are now. Right. Um, and social media didn't exist. So, I mean, I guess probably somewhere on the Harvard campus, Facebook existed, but um, it didn't exist as a consumer-facing um, platforms that we know of today. And so when brands first started engaging with social media, it was it was actually two of our um, our customers that are drinkers that got us into it. One was a fan in Northern Virginia who said, you guys should be on Twitter. And I was like, what's Twitter? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and he goes, well, I made an account. I put your logo on it. Here's your password. Start tweeting. I'm like, who cares what we have to say? So, so I just started following different entities on Twitter. There weren't a lot of, you know, brands on there, but like, you know, just listening and, and to seeing what um, different, you know, like I said, there weren't a lot of breweries, but what different wineries were saying, what different des- tourism destinations were were saying, and sort of what was the conversation that, that was happening there. So then everyone, you know, I would throw something out there and see how people reacted to it. And if, you know, they liked it, then we'd put more of that kind of stuff on there. So it was really literally throwing spaghetti on the wall um, um, when Twitter launched. And then with Facebook, um, we had, I had found a fan group. There used to be fan groups. Oh, it, it keeps evolving. So I have to think back in the way back machine here. But <laughs> some, a fan had started a, a, a group and it was, you know, all about Dr. Shed, but it was also a little bit out of date. Like the person was not updating it. They didn't have like, you know, all the information, mm-hmm. of course, that an insider person at Dogfish would have. So I reached out. It was actually a woman in Texas who um, was the administrator of the group. She was like, I was like, hey, you know, I'd love to, if, you, if I could be a co-administrator and um, 
then, you know, I could give you guys updated information and all that stuff. So she basically said, okay, here you go. And like disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) So then I was the administrator of this group, which then of course, at that time, you could only have 5,000 fans. Mm -hmm. So that like we had to evolve with Facebook and um, eventually was able to turn it into a brand page once those launched um, and keep it going from there. So then, you know, as different platforms came on the scene, we tried them out. We you know, did Vine for a little while. And, you know, we're, you know, so we just sort of tried to see where um, people are and engage really in, in the same, that, that same authentic, like, voice and conversational sort of approach that we've had, you know, originally on our website, originally in our press releases. And it just sort of naturally evolved into the different type of conversations on these different platforms. Um, so, you know, because we got in early, we were able to, I think, get a, a solid base of um, drinkers that wanted to engage with us. And because we were, you know, spending time and attention on it, I think, um, you know, people appreciated that and they knew that it was us that was replying for the first number of mm-hmm. years it was it was me that was doing all the replying and all the um for all the, the good bad and ugly <laughs> so um and then now we have a whopping team of two full-time people and then me um partially jumping in and you know messing up the plan every once in a while <laughs> but uh but luckily um you know there, there are three of us but now we probably have i think again across all the platforms and all of our locations, I think we have something like 15 different channels of, to manage. So um, it's still it's still something that we value greatly. And we love the opportunity that we can talk with drinkers um, all the time around the world um, at night on weekends. You know, that's when people are doing that, um, you know, tweeting about beer, it turns out. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's been great. I mean, I, where, you know, like, like Sam said, he's the, the, He's out there. He and until COVID, he was literally, literally mm-hmm. always out there. You know, traveling and visiting and at festivals, at beer dinners, at at GABF. You know, he was there. You know, hopefully pouring the beer and and talking with people on, on an analog basis. And I was able to still do some of that and contribute. You know, while I was here in Delaware, with either here at the brewery or working or with home with the kids. Um, so it was just an opportunity that um that i think complemented you know each of our strengths and our interests so um i'm a big fan of social media even though a couple sometimes some days i hate it but <laughs> yeah, I love it. yeah it, it it really seems like you know obviously dogfish had it and, and most breweries have evolved quite some you know quite a bit over the time you know being reluctantly pulled into it or just sort of someone knocks on your door essentially and hands you a, the password to today, you know, how has that evolution process and that learning process been for you? And are there are lesson are there lessons that you can offer or advice that you can offer other breweries in how to maintain an authentic voice and 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 keep, you know, kind of the identity uh, you know, moving forward, especially across so many different, you know, opportunities and platforms and channels. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some of it makes sense for, you know, some of the channels make sense and some some probably don't. Um, you know, we, we're on LinkedIn. We, we share, you know, sort of more traditional business news there, mm-hmm. but like it's not somewhere where we put a lot of, of focus. Um, but, you know, we love Instagram. We love doing um, 
like, you know, creating photos and thinking about fun ways to engage with us. But we also just love listening to people and answering questions which is a lot of what it's about mm-hmm. is like, you know, I don't know about you, but like now when I think of, Oh, I want to go to this restaurant. Let me see if they're open. I don't even go to the website of a website mm-hmm. of a restaurant. If, if anything, I'll go to like a Yelp or most, most often their Facebook page. Yeah. And certainly, certainly people, in the beer world, you yeah. know, you're, you're not likely to find a lot of yeah. hours or other information updated on websites anymore. Yeah. So I think, you know, advice is, is listening and knowing who you who who your brand is and and what it isn't and leaning into what it is and and I think then you're going to connect with people who appreciate that I mean you're yeah you're going to find some people who don't like things that like to stick around and just throw softballs over fences at people Mm -hmm. but for the most part I think we've had very few instances of like you know haters or trolls like persistent that are really worth any time you know, we just focus on focus on those folks who um, who do want to like sort of talk about beer and learn about beer and, and um, you know get excited when we talk about stuff that we're doing here at Dogfish. Because as you noted, social media is not always the easiest place to operate. I think anybody who has spent any time on there, let alone a brand as as substantial as Dogfish, there are going to be. You know, as you said, softballs are, are, are is maybe the nice way of putting what the you know folks are throwing over the fence at you sometimes uh, with trolls or just people having bad days and angry customers or folks with agendas. Um, you know, recently, you know, Dogfish had a, a small blow up over one of Sam's famous quotes, and that was you know, obviously the that the beer industry is ninety nine percent asshole free. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, there was in and I thought Dogfish handled that. Well, in terms of its its response, because I think if you're any if you're a brand at some point, there are going to be some points where you, you know, maybe something misses the mark or the audience takes it away that you did not uh, did not perceive or think about in advance. Um, And I suppose the lessons are just how you learn from that. So I guess my question would be in, you know, in response to when that happened, uh, what was your response and, and how did the team how did the team address it? Yeah, no, that's a, a great example of one of the days that I didn't love social media. <laughs> um, and I mean, and I will say, uh, squarely take responsibility for that for that uh, faux pas. The um, so it was National Beer Lovers Day, and as you alluded to, the the quote that um, we ended up posting was something that we had used many many times. It had been attributed to Sam, I think, back in 2011. Mm-hmm. So it was a uh, legacy quote we'd used actually the same imagery that we used um this time we had used before it had been quoted in books and blah blah blah. so it was some something that was known sam was have was known to have said granted it was a very different time um so when this year when we were talking about oh it's national beer lovers day what are we going to post and that idea was on the table i was like oh yeah that's great like yeah, of course. It's National Beer Lovers Day. National beer lovers are awesome, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's use that quote. Well, like you said, exactly what happened was you have to think about things through a lot of different lenses. Um, and even things that made sense at one point in time, we, we all know a lot of examples in the world that seem to have made sense at one point in time mm-hmm. no longer make sense. Um, so, yeah, so I did not think through that um, through that, through the lens of what had been happening within the more of the industry side um, of the beer world mm-hmm. um, over the spring, 
and that was a huge mistake uh, 100% for, for me. Sadly, um, we didn't even check to, with Sam because we just normally don't when we use mm-hmm. this image or you know, something he, ha- he has been quoted as saying. We just were like, oh, yeah, let's throw that up there. So um, poor Sam <laughs> got pulled into this conversation unbeknownst to him. Yeah. Thankfully, he's not on social media, so he didn't actually see it. <laughs> I did. We did tell him immediately. But, um, yeah, so um, so very quickly, like within minutes, we realized, oh, holy crap, like we, did, we were not, you know, we didn't think through all the lenses mm-hmm. here. What do we do? And so we quickly wrote in the caption, like, hey, we made a mistake. Or actually, I think we edited the post. I can't remember. I think we edited the post. That, oh, we, we screwed up here. We see that. We made a mistake. And, um, you know, we tried to, but we didn't take the post down. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't believe really in taking posts down unless, like, I, I, don't, I don't know that we ever have. I'm right. sure there's one or two times in our years of social media that we have but we generally don't we'd rather um hear from people and the crazy thing is you know this whole this awesome i think dialogue happened in the comments and you could see it was people who were you know the people who were mad rightly so were people who were aware of what the craft beer industry Mm -hmm. had been going through um I think a lot of people just liked the post and moved on and never even read the comments because sure. it's actually, I think, still one of our like most engaged with posts. Yeah. Um, and many of those are just people that liked it and, and didn't comment on it. Um, but you also saw in the comments that people were learning through that dialogue about what had happened in the craft beer industry side that spring that they weren't aware of. So that's in a large part why we didn't take it down because we thought it was a it was a learning opportunity for people who well definitely for us for yeah. sure but differently there's a learning opportunity for um, maybe craft beer drinkers or fans who weren't sort of in- engaged in the whole conversation um, to learn about it and so for that reason we thought it was important to leave there and um, and you know let it stand for what it is with the with the correction and apology that mm-hmm. we had added. But um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of how that all went down. And definitely one of those days where we were like, <laughs> not, not on our game. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, quickly said, okay, well, this is how we're going to deal with it. And, you know, even within our small team of people we pulled in with, you know, to the conversation, it was like some people immediately said, Oh, well, we should take it down. And then we said, you know, well, should we? And we talked that through, and that's when we came to like, let's leave it up there um, and see, see, you know, if we can't keep it, keep it as something that some people can learn from, including us. And I think the conversation is is an important point. You know, comment sections on social media and websites are often uh, just pure dumpster fires. But in these situations, it does, you know, a lot of the conversation in craft beer, I think folks who are involved in it, and whether it's on social media, especially someplace like Beer Twitter, it's a lot of folks talking amongst themselves in very, very small circles, and they don't quite recognize that the rest of, you know, even the craft beer world, let alone the broader world, has any idea what they're talking about. So I think I think I, mm-hmm. you know, I'd agree that this, it, it sort of opens it up 
to an important discussion so people are learning about you know this broader topic and the one that you're referencing is you know a lot of stories in the last year or two um, you know kind of a growing reckoning with regards to you know whether it's racism or sexism or mistreatment or inc- inclusivity and diversity within uh, the craft beer space um, and craft breweries in particular. And I'm sure you've been following, you know, all of these stories as they've been evolving, you know, especially with regards to, you know, some of the the more recent ones with regards to sexism in the industry. You know, what is your response that you know, to to what you've seen? Because obviously, Dogfish has a quote going back, you know, the 99 percent, and that's you know sort of out of context now. That's you know several you know a mm. decade or more old. Things are, you know, I think we we look through at, at things through a different lens now. So what has been your response to sort of the, the news and the information and, and sort of the reckoning of the past year? Yeah, well, I, and, and you like laid it out so so well, because, you know, it is that that broad reckoning. It's not just sexism. It's not just racism. It's it's inclusivity. And it's it's not just craft beer. We've seen it in mm-hmm. industries and places around the world in the last couple of years decade like it's it's you know it's it's not just here um and you know when it did sort of come to light this past spring i think yeah we we um we all were watching that and and it came to light you know through such a i don't know such a non i don't want to say arbitrary but it's not at all arbitrary but i don't think it was it didn't seem like to be a planned no um, no sort of and, and it didn't even um, it didn't even like leverage like when you think of some of the um, Me Too uh, issues that have come out in other industries like leverage traditional media mm-hmm. and this was all really just you know organic right um, and 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 fast moving which is you know the way the world uh, communicates these days so I mean you know I think it's great not it, I think it's great that the conversation was expanded, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think, you know, of course, as both a woman and as an employer, um, I think this is great for for women to get be able to share these stories. As an employer, I'm like, wow, like how? And a former reporter, uh, news producer, I'm like, oh wow, like where's the edit editorial filter? And yep. obviously there was none. Um, I don't think. I don't know what, if that was, um, you know, if that the lack of editorial filter caused any um, problematic storytelling. I don't know that, uh, but mm-hmm. um, it's just interesting wearing different hats and looking at this issue from a lot of different angles. It's like, it's a, it's a hard issue without all of that. Right. And then um, you have, you layer all that on top of it. So, um, you know, I think being able to, tell your story. And I hope that what has happened in our industry, but also in all these industries that have been impacted, um, is that the feeling that people can tell their stories, that people can be taken seriously, that people can you know, share their own truth. I think that the fact that the, the door has opened for that, I think is hopefully an amazing step forward. Um, and, and I think time will tell. At Dogfish, as you said, as an employer, you know, when these sort of stories start coming out and, you know, a lot of us are, are head down, you know, just kind of grinding it out day to day, week to week, you know, especially as, you know, a pandemic starts to rage, you know, when this sort of causes, 
you know, everybody in the industry, a lot of folks in the industry to stop, you know, raise their head up for a moment and just sort of be present and take notice, you know, as someone who leads, you know, leads a team and, and helps run, you know, a couple of good size organizations, you know, what do you, what do you do as a leader? You know, how do you, how do you respond to that moment? Uh, and, and what kind of conversations were had with inside of Dogfish Head? Well, I can talk. So, um, I would say even to take the aperture a little more wide, a little mm-hmm. wider than just dogfish. So when the, the story started coming out um, on social media last spring, I think it was. So what we did at, at Boston Beer, obviously encompassing dogfish head, was we um, basically put out an all call invitation. Of course, we're all most of us that weren't in the production world were all sales, including all sales and administrative. Like we were all remote, so we created a remote opportunity like through Microsoft Teams or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we did a, an open meeting for anyone in the company to join and to talk. We, and it actually launched a whole series of these. But um, this was the first time we ever did it. Um, we called it Courageous Conversation. And it was around sexism in the industry. And we just invited people to come on and talk about the issue, um, you know, to share information with our coworkers about where, like, you know, to remind everybody about the the opportunities that they had within our organization to report any instances, you know, who they could go to, the, all the different opportunities that they had there, because not everybody, you know, keeps those top of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we could remind everybody about that. We wanted to make sure that people could talk about the issue. Um, and we, you know, had a, a great open conversation with people from all over the, the country um, chiming in. Um, and talking about the issue. And then what after on the heels of that, we created two task forces, internal task force. Um, one focused on um, our sales coworkers, um, knowing that they have a unique um, experience being in the field, right. being you know working with wholesalers and retailers. And then we had another task force focused on our um, local breweries and tap rooms, so mostly our brew pubs and our consumer facing um, uh, Coworkers, so you think of you know bartenders, servers, managers, um, all in hospitality, um, and so we came up with um, sort of like, hey, here's you know we wanted to make it sure that everybody knew where they could go if they needed to um, report instances or feel like they wanted you know had something they share even if they you know, just wanted to have a conversation or be heard. Um, so we made sure that that information was um, you know particularly out there for those two groups. We also then put up like, you know, hey, here's here's sort of our we we call them humanity statements. I mm-hmm. think some I've seen some organizations calling them code of conduct, some people calling them rules of the road, like all different things, but we created our own statements for our own our own coworkers. Like here's what we expect from each other, here's how we're gonna hold each other accountable and you know, here's what to do if we have we have a problem. And in the hospitality front, we have them posted in all of our um, all of our customer-facing locations, um, and usually a couple spots within each in each place. And it's just, you know, basically says, "Hey, here's," and it's in the language of that location. So the Dogfish Head location, say, the, say it one way. The Angry Orchard, mm-hmm. uh, Walden Orchard, says, you know, in their brand voice. But it basically all they all say like. You need to, we treat each other with respect to dignity. You, we need to do that. We need you to do that. And if you're not going to, you know, take a hike, <laughs> they don't really say take a hike, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, 
that was a lot of the work that that we were doing in the months after um, after all these stories came mm-hmm. to light. I cannot recommend Arrived enough. Killer customer support, affordable, ability to start tabs without holding cards, keeps track of ounces sold for state reporting, two different ways to report tips, the list goes on. It's amazing, says Tracy Bardigan of Firemaker Brewing in Atlanta. Lalaman shares your passion for brewing and is equally passionate about helping brewers. With its hands-on sales and technical teams, a 24-7 internal discussion channel where teams help each other answer technical questions, R&D research trials and projects based on brewers' needs and feedback, Lalamond is the perfect partner for your brewery. Go to lalamondbrewing.com for more information on how Lalamond's We Brew With You approach can help your business. And you noted, um, you know, importantly, your role is not just, you know, and I sort of seem to be saying it dogfish head, but you're right. You know, your role is not really entirely dogfish head anymore. It's it's much broader than that. Um, and I de- and I definitely want to talk about that. But first, can we just get what was your reaction when you were first? You know, I don't know if it confronted with the news or offered the news or just the the conversation about the possibility of selling uh, Dogfish Head to Boston Beer and becoming part of that corporation. I, I imagine over the years there must have been, uh, you know, many many companies, larger companies that stopped by at various times to to maybe have conversations about the possibility of an acquisition uh, or you know some, whether partial or all of it. And I'm sure some of those were conversations may may have just been turned away before they even started but you know when when this was happening you know what was your reaction because this has been a company with a full culture and an almost family-like atmosphere that uh you you and you both had built over over so long yeah well um i would say i wouldn't sort of describe it as a reaction only because it's not like it it came out of nowhere right, and landed right, in right. my lap to react to um, obviously, I was part of ongoing discussions or any discussions of that type over the years. And like you said, some came and, you know, we had a conversation and many came and there was no conversation. And, you know, so, you know, over the years, as, an in, as, as our company grew, as our needs grew, as our, you know, as our um, industry changed. Yeah. So there were definitely um, conversations amongst friends. You know, we have lots of friends that also own breweries, mm-hmm. but also just, you know, organizations, you know, companies that we we didn't really know, but we, we got to know a little bit. Um, so as, as this conversation with Jim um, evolved, it really did start as a conversation. I probably actually started, you know, Sam and Jim were on the Brewers Association board together for, I think, 10 years. Mm-hmm. They served together got to know each other. We did the collaboration with them. I think we were the first brewery they did a collaboration, that Sam Adams did a collaboration with was Dogfish for Savor, which was a Brewers Association event in mm-hmm. DC. Um, so that, I think that was the first opportunity that I think the door really opened for Sam in particular to meet more people at Boston Beer beyond Jim. Um, and so, you know, got to know some of the brewing team um, up in Boston and in Jamaica Plain there. So, as you know, as you think back to, you know, when we, the years ahead of us announcing um, our merger with Boston Beer, you think of the industry, our whole industry was changing and, and quickly. And all of a sudden, you know, over, not quite overnight, but in a very short period of time, 
we were realizing that, hey, there's not a lot of mid-sized craft players right. here anymore that are independent. And whereas in the 90s shakeout, like we were, we were there with a bunch of like, like breweries, right? Like we were, you know, we were left after that shakeout with, with a lot of our friends and, 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 you know, who were, who were breweries as well. And we were the for, you know, fortunate to, to, you know, make it through that shakeout in a very different time. And then when you look back at this massive period of consolidation here, we were like, wow, like, there's not a lot of people like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where did all, not where did all our friends go, but like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. all of a sudden it's like, okay, what does this mean? The competitive landscape for at, at this period was, was sort of looking like it was going to be very different, um, which of course has, has played out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, throw COVID on top of that and um, imagine that. So yeah. I think the conversation was very, um, it, it, yeah, it, it was, it was an evolution that just kept making more and more sense mm-hmm. for us and you know, obviously for, for Jim and Boston beer too. So um, it wasn't something that all of a sudden like landed in our laps and we were like, yes or no. It was, it was more of a, of an evolution of a conversation and, um, and at a time where we were like, well, this makes a lot of sense for our brand. It makes a lot of sense for our coworkers and it makes a lot of sense, you know, for hopefully the, longevity of, of craft beer and, and dogfish to go. Your role obviously has evolved from the very beginning as, as it just needs to, as the company grows and, and you take on more responsibility and different, you know, in all sorts of new trades, I imagine, that you might not have ever imagined you would. You now find yourself <laughs> as, the, yeah. you know, as the social impact leader at the Boston Beer Company. Can you talk to us a little bit about what this role entails? Yeah, I love I love my role. It's an awesome role. Um, like you said, I've worn a lot of hats over the mm-hmm. years. Um, when I first said I left TV news to come on full time, I was going to be you know marketing and PR, <laughs> and I probably did everything. But for a little while, I learned how to do payroll. I dealt with TTB forms. I learned you know what it means to think about HR and insurance mm-hmm. and um, all these things. And then eventually, we were able to hire much smarter people <laughs> than me, which was not a high bar on any of those um, fronts, but um, as we were able to bring people on that knew what they were doing there, I was able to focus back on marketing and social media and all that. So then as I focus back on that and really all along, I think a big part of my role at Dogfish has been around um, sort of connecting with our community, giving mm-hmm. back, philanthropy, community engagement. Part of that is, you know, that fell within our sort of our marketing world. But a part of that was that, like I said earlier, like I'm, from this area, I grew up here. Um, I my family is here, so we, I am connected to the community in many ways. So when um, post merger, about a year in, um, our chief people officer and our CEO Dave Berwick came to me and said, "Hey, we're, we want to create this social impact team because we have all this awesome stuff happening across all of our brands, across all of our locations." And um, we just want to pull it together to give it some um, a strategic view. Um, is, is that something you'd be interested in? And, you know, I was like, yeah, like mm-hmm. that sounds like the dream job, right? So um, that's exactly what, you know, what we focus on. We focus on, you know, community engagement, co-worker volunteerism, philanthropy. We support our brands and some of the brand um programs that exist like Brewing the American Dream or Beer Benevolence, um, 
first one's Sam Adams, second one's Dogfish, and and just sort of see and then see see where we can sort of do good right through all of mm-hmm. all of our locations and uh, brands, and then a couple months into the creation of the team, we started the team in like July of 2020, and then um, in October we created and filled our first time full time DE and I leader role, um, which was filled internally. Um, so the, so we added that to, um, to the purview of our team. And, um, we also recently, not specifically on my team, but we work really closely with, um, another new role that we've created, which is our, um, leader for sustainability across mm-hmm. the company. So, um, we all get to work together on some, some really cool, amazing, amazing initiatives. And one of the recent things that have gone on, and we've talked about it around the edges here, is finally this Dogfish Head book. And as best I can tell, I think Sam has you know, written a couple of books, and he actually wrote the intro to one of my books. Um, you know, thank you to him for that. But how did you know, tell me a little bit about the process of, of bringing this book to light, because unlike some of the, you know, the previous books, whether they were uh, you know, business, more business related, this is a pretty personal book. It's filled with a lot of you know, photos, you know, some of which I have not seen before of, of the two of you. It tells you know, some of the stories that we've heard before, but others that we have not. And it just seems to be kind of a, a, a wonderful encapsulation of the experience um, and sort of the intimate and personal experience of just the two of you bringing this company forth and helping grow it over many years. So how was the process of, of putting together this book and how did it come to be? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a very different book than Sam's books before, but it is the same publisher. And um, mm. the, the I think the seed of the, of the whole project was the publisher was like, hey, isn't, isn't Dr. Shed's 25th? anniversary coming and is there is there a book in there yeah of course all you have to do is say two words <laughs> of an idea to sam and he he goes running yeah and you're like wait up but um so uh, you know and at the same time he had been reading and just gotten the book that the dc boys put out called the dc boys book mm-hmm. which is sort of a uh inspiration that was that was the inspiration for sort of how we wanted this book to come together um from a look and feel perspective um and and the way we wanted to tell the story was through two like two parallel paths. One being the beers that we've distributed, commercially distributed through the years, through these twenty six years. Like there that's one backbone of the storytelling um thread through the book. And then the other is through the people that we've been fortunate right. to work with. So there's coworker profiles. So, you know, Sam um obviously is you know the the writer, you know, that he's he's been writing books. Andrew, um, who runs our inn, is an amazing storyteller, which is part of the reason that he's in this job that he's in. Um, he connects with people really, really well. He like is just a, a culture ambassador for our company. He happens to have been an English major and worked in, in, uh, in education as well um, before he came to Dogfish. So, um, and then I, um, my role, like I probably took a whole mess of the photos that were in the book. Um, just, you know, whether it was on my phone or <laughs> before that, like just with the camera. So I had just boxes and boxes of, of books that uh, photos, I'm sorry, that um, I got to go through through the process. So we each sort of had our, our sort of marching orders and um, really worked as a team um, through 
what ended up being an extra year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for uh, in part COVID. But um, yeah, so we, we just pulled out photos, stories, stories from people and, um, you know, worked with the publishing team. And then our art director at Dogfish, Paul Fenz, um, was like the silent fourth author. Um, and he sort of had the vision of, of bringing the book to life visually, which is obviously a very visual book. Right. Um, so he worked um, really, really hard to take all of these amazing stories and then all the photos and just all the you know, imagery we had through the years to, to put it all together. And I, I, I feel like it, it's more like a, I would say coffee table book, but mm-hmm. I think it's more appropriate to say a beer table book <laughs> um, where you, you pick it up and you read a couple pages. It's not something right. you necessarily feel like you need to read cover to cover. Um, since it's come out, it's kind of felt more like a yearbook because we have so many coworkers that have been walking around with their, their book and their Sharpie and going like, hey, can you sign your page? And hey, your photo is on this page. Can you sign it? So it's been like, you know senior spring um, of school where everyone's getting their yearbook signed too, which has been a lot of fun. So, so that's sort of the whole impetus and, and why the book looks and feels, feels like it does. And, and we've had a lot of fun with it. And um, you know, it, it's also brought out other stories that, that didn't make it into mm-hmm. the book. And, you know, I just, I, I think it's been really cool to hear like our regular guests or our former coworkers reach out and, and share their stories. Yeah, as you noted, you really can just kind of jump in with the book. It, you know, reading it cover to cover, I suppose, could make sense for some people, but I, you know, otherwise, you can really just jump in at any point. Um, and so, you know, a sort of last question for you is: in going through all the different recipes and the different, you know, styles and beers that you've made over the years, is there one beer that you could, and it doesn't have to be one, if there, is there one or two beers that you think kind of encapsulates the dogfish head experience and? You know, I'm sure that you could probably tell a story based on almost any of them, but there are a lot of stories in here. Is there one in particular that strikes you? <laughs> oh, it's so hard. <laughs> yes, that's really a hard question. Uh, completely unfair. Sure. I know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm well aware. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, there's so many cool stories of, of beers that were, have like a collaboration aspect to it, which are always fun because you get to sort of like, you know, mix your chocolate with someone else's peanut butter mm-hmm. and like, you know, have a experience that you wouldn't necessarily have um on your own as a as a uh, brewer maker you know brand builder um so those are always fun i think of one um you know the sequential story is so complex and like the way we make that beer and the way it came to life and how many layers of stories it has mm-hmm. um and then the beer just is so like you know easy going and like enjoyable it's like the opposite bill <laughs> Um, my favorite beer that we make have ever made. Well, I would say one of my favorite beers is uh, Festina Pesh. Yes. So that one spoke to me. Um, and of course, Chicory Stout, I love too, which we're bringing back at the brew pub this week. So that makes me excited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, See, I only gave you four. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of great stories in here and it, it is certainly a great book. Uh, the, Two of you have been in the beer business, uh, not forever, but a while, um, you know, some time now, and you've kind of had a lot of ups, a lot of downs, and then a lot of, you know, and, and a great deal of success and certainly have um, have put your mark on the industry uh, in great ways. 
how much longer do you both want to do this? I mean, you've got, I think you're talking here, the kids are off to college now. Um, you, you know, the company is, its future is pretty secure at this point. Uh, and you guys are now working for, you know, the large, larger organization, you know, parent company in, Bo- in Boston Beer. How much longer, you know, is there anything else you want to achieve? What else do you want to do? How much longer do you want to do this? Well, I can't answer that question because I don't know exactly, but I will say like the entire, like, I feel like it's all, it's all been a journey that's led to things that we probably never would have said, mm-hmm. Oh, this is what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> um, you know, even Sam originally saying, Oh, I want to open a brew pub. Like uh, I would never think that in 26 years, this is what he meant right. by that. Um, and you know, even to a year and a half ago, I was like, okay, well, you know, I've sort of, you know, our, our, our marketing team, you know, awesome and does a great job. And like, we've sort of managed our, our way through this merger. Like I was starting to think like, okay, where do I add value here? When, Mm -hmm. when Carolyn and Dave brought me the social impact opportunity. So that wasn't even on my radar. So, I mean, I think it's, just will continue to be an evolution. I know Sam's really engaged with the innovation team at um, Boston beer, not working on, on sort of ideating beyond dogfish, which I think has been a new invigorating mm-hmm. experience for him. Um, so it's just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there is no sort of uh, exit ramp. There's not even a roadmap. So um, can't really say, Oh, we'll, we'll be here for 27 more years or 26 more years or two more years. <laughs> but um, I, I think we've managed to find really cool um, opportunities, both within dogfish and um, sort of outside of dogfish along the way. And I think we'll both continue to do that. Well, Mariah, it has been quite a journey. It's It was certainly enjoyable to read this book and, and, and a great conversation. I thank you so much for t- taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the book, and um, hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. This has been Andy Crouch, and thanks for listening to the Beer Edge Podcast. My partner John Hall and I work hard to produce interesting podcasts and other content for you, our dear listeners. And this is where I ask you to give us a little hand. We've got some cool merch for sale at BeerEdge.com. Buy a shirt or a mug and help support independent journalism. And if you're itching for more beer content, check out John's podcast, Drink Beer, Think Beer, with new episodes every Wednesday. It's a good listen on your commute or if you just need to take a break. We're on the socials at The Beer Edge. And if you want to be on the show, or if you want to sponsor the show, or if you know the perfect guest, please drop me a line. My email is andy at beeredge.com, and my DMs are open everywhere at Beerscribe. We're back with Daniel McCullough, who is talking to us about how Lalaman can help breweries. Can you tell me about the passion for helping brewers that Lalaman and its technical team have? Well, all the team is from all different walks of life of brewing in different countries. And we are all brewers and we miss brewing. (laughs) So when we get to go into a brewery and brew again, we love that. On the technical side, what are the range of services that you're able to provide? Oh, a range of things. So sometimes there's some brewers that mightn't have a formal brewing education or they might have come from home brew and they've set up their first brewery and they've gone through the commissioning of that and they just want some insights. So we sometimes just come for a whole brew day and we sit there and basically go through the whole process, take notes 
and then write a detailed feedback of suggestions where, you know, from our experience, we can improve the process. We, we, we do quite a few of those. Uh, brewers find that really helpful. Everyone has a different way of doing a brewing process. Everyone has different equipment and sizes and things like that. So sometimes it's nice just to have a second set of eyes and go through the process and see, is there a way I could be doing this? For almost 50 years, Valamon has been passionate about brewing and helping brewers. With decades of long-standing industry experience, an extensive support network, and strong technical expertise, Valamon Brewing is positioned to help your brewery achieve its growth and quality goals. Beyond unparalleled global technical support and expertise, Valamon offers an extensive range of products, services, and education. Whether you're a startup, a global leader in beer production, or anywhere in between, Lalaman has something for you. At Lalaman Brewing, we brew with you. Go to Arrive.com to set up a free, customized demo with an Arrive consultant and see how a point of sale can make all the difference in your guest experience, staff efficiency, and bottom line. Chances are a switch to Arrive will save you time, money, and a whole lot of headaches. Arrive.com. That's Arrived with a Y. A-R-R-Y-V-E-D dot com. Arrived is the point of service that works for you.